Welcome to the Qalam Institute podcast. You're listening to Lives of the Prophets by Mufti Hussein Gamani. Imagine spending two weeks every day, morning and evening, with the Prophet That's the vision behind Sirah Intensive. Every year, over a hundred people from all over the world come together to spend two weeks immersed in learning about the life and character of the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad Sign up and get more information at sirahintensive.com. That's S-E-E-R-A-H intensive.com. The first narration is the Prophet said that messengers and prophets of Allah have ceased. There will be no messenger or prophet after me. Narrated by Imam Ahmad In one narration the Prophet said and this narration that I'm going to share with you is in Sahih al-Bukhari that my example amongst the prophets is like a man who has built a house. Someone who's built a house. And each, the house was built with bricks. However, there's one brick missing. And when the visitor comes inside the house, he says, wow, look how beautiful this house is. Only if it was complete. Only if that one brick was there. The Prophet ﷺ said, I am the last brick to the house of prophethood. And after me, there will be no space for another brick to come in because this house will be complete. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, Al-yawma akmaltu lakum it is complete now. It is finished. And Allah is happy the way this structure is. No one needs to come and touch it and change it again. In another narration narrated by Imam Bukhari, the Prophet when speaking to Ali, when the Prophet was going for the battle of Tabuk, he left Ali behind as his deputy in Medina Munawwara. So the Prophet said to him, So he said, O Messenger of Allah, are you leaving me behind with the women and the kids? I want to come and fight. Why are you leaving, behind, leaving me behind here? So the Prophet said to him, that are you not happy to know that you are to me like Harun was to Musa? When Musa went, who was the deputy? Harun was. So you're my deputy. But the only difference between our example, you and I and Harun and Musa is what? That there is no prophet after me though. Harun was a prophet, but I'm making it very clear. You are not a you're not a prophet, you're a deputy, beloved to the Messenger of Allah, and there are many virtues of Ali radiallahu anh. But one thing very clear, no, no companion of the Prophet was even a prophet. The next narration is also in Sahih al-Bukhari, where the Prophet said that Banu Israel were guided by prophets. Whenever a prophet died, another took his place. There will be no prophet after me, but there will be khulafa, and who will increase in number. Meaning khulafa will come, successors will come, but there will be no prophet after me. And the last narration, which I find a very interesting one, is the Prophet ﷺ said, the final hour will not come until eight things happen. This hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari again. The final hour, the day of judgment, will not, will not come until certain things will happen. And in that hadith, the Prophet listed eight things. What are those eight things? Two big groups will fight each other Whereupon there will be a great number of casualties on both sides. And they will be following one in the same religion doc- religious doctrine. Meaning two groups who will be from the same faith. Both will be Muslims. But they will fight against each other and fight against each other so much that many casualties will be on both sides. Second thing the Prophet ﷺ said, About 30 liars will appear. Each of them will claim that he is the messenger of Allah. The third thing the Prophet ﷺ said, that the religious... Scholars, the, the knowledge of the deen will be taken away. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take away the knowledge of the deen and people will remain in ignorance. The fourth thing, earthquakes will increase in number. Number five, time will pass by quickly. Number six, affliction will appear. 
Number seven, the Prophet wasallam said, Al-Harj. Al-Harj means Al-Qatl. There will be abundance of killing. The killing rates will just rise and rise and rise. And the fourth thing the Prophet wasallam said, wealth will be in abundance. You know, when I read this hadith, honestly, I feel like this is it. The Prophet was talking about the 21st century. Wealth in abundance. Each one of us right now in our pocket has access probably to a $5,000 credit line. You know, we have a lot of wealth people. We're very wealthy people, alhamdulillah. And each of these things one by one are there. Anyway, the point that I wanted to clarify is the statement of the Prophet that there will be 30 liars that will come after the Prophet and each of them will claim to be prophets. Now the last discussion I want to have for the night is that we now understand what a prophet is. We understand the purpose of a prophet. We understand how many prophets there were, the first and the last and so on. What are characteristics of a prophet? What are the key characteristics of the prophet? The scholars, they say that there are four key characteristics of a prophet. Four very important characteristics. What are they? Awalan as-sidq. The first thing is that that prophet must be truthful. Because if that prophet is the ambassador on behalf of Allah to the people, and is conveying the message of Allah, can there be any possibility that he is lying? Yes or no? If there's a possibility that he's lying, then the message is diluted. You don't know if that message is coming from him or it's coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So every prophet, every single prophet that came in the history of mankind, the first characteristic they all had was that they were all um, sadiq, they were all truthful people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran makes reference to many prophets and openly calls them Siddiq, that they were truthful people. Innahu kana Siddiqan Nabiya, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says regarding Idris alayhi salam and also Ibrahim alayhi salam. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says regarding Yaqub alayhi salam, Ishaq alayhi salam and their progeny that waj'alna lahum lisana Siddiqin aliyah, that they were also truthful people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says regarding Ismail alayhi salam, kana sadiq al wa'd, he was also a truthful person. So, I mean, all the prophets of Allah were truthful people, including the Prophet ﷺ. His truthfulness was not only known by the believers and by revelation, his truthfulness was attested to by the non-believers of his community as well. Before the Prophet ﷺ even brought to them the message, the people of Makkah Mukarramah were already calling him a sadiq, the truthful one, because the Prophet ﷺ never uttered a lie with his tongue. This leads us to the importance of being truthful. Each and every one of us here. Ask yourself this question, how many times do I lie in a day? Whether it's to my family, whether it's to my kids. You know, simple things, simple lies, small lies, you know. Um, we call our kids, come here and I'll give you this candy. When they come, there's no candy in the hand. That's a lie to them. That's not cute. It's not funny. You just lied. Which means that there was an aspect of barakah that just left your relationship that you had with your child. You know, coming to your wife and lying to her. Coming to your husband and lying to him. Your parents are asking, where are you? And you're lying to them. We have constant lying going on. So much lying going on in our community. I remember I was giving a class once and I told the people that the legacy of Abu Bakr was that he was a Siddiq. A part of his grand legacy, one of the things was that he was a Siddiq. And we ask ourselves this question, he was known as a Siddiq during his life. And after his life, for the last 1400 years, if you say the word a Siddiq, whose name, whose name pops in your mind? I mean, that's some truthfulness right there, guys. If over a million people at any one given time in the history of mankind, whenever you say the word as-siddiq to them, what pops in their mind? Abu Bakr. That's some powerful stuff there. It's kind of like Colgate. They take pride in saying that whenever someone thinks, says toothpaste, what comes to your mind? Colgate, right? Kleenex. Kleenex, sorry. They take pride in saying that if anyone thinks of a tissue, what comes to your mind? Kleenex. These guys haven't been around for a few hundred years. Imagine Abu Bakr. 
You say a Siddiq, and what pops into your mind? His name. What's our legacy? What are we known as the people? The cheater, the liar, the guy who's come right through is absolutely zero. You know, the sister who loves backbiting, the brother who loves slandering, the one whose tongue is more poisonous than the poison of the snake. You know, these are things that we've become known for, unfortunately. So asking yourself this question, where is our truthfulness? Another point of being truthfulness, being truthful. In one narration, the Prophet ﷺ said that the more truthful a person is during the day, that's how truthful their dreams will be during the night. Hence the impact of revelation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens to a truthful person, you know, the realities of the unseen, you know, whether it's in the form of dreams and so on and so forth. So not that we should all aspire to see dreams. Dreams are a gift from Allah. If someone gets them, alhamdulillah, if someone doesn't, it's okay. And even if you see a dream, it doesn't make you better than another person. You know, if someone sees a, a truthful dream or a dream that comes true, by no means at all does that make you better than another individual. I remember asking my shaykh once, I said to him, that a person who saw the Prophet in the dream and another person who didn't see the Prophet in the dream, which one of the two is better? You know what his response was? There's a person who saw the Prophet in the dream, and another person did not see the Prophet in the dream. Which one of the two is better? He said the one who follows the Sunnah. Seeing the dream or not seeing the dream does not mean anything to him at that point. The question is, who follows the Sunnah? If a person saw the Prophet in the dream, it isn't following the Sunnah, you know, you're going to be held accountable for that on the Day of Judgment. Allah gave you a gift that you, got, you had the opportunity to see the Prophet in your dream, and you didn't follow his legacy, that's something to hold you accountable for. As for the person who never saw the, person, who never saw the Prophet in the, his dream, or her dream, never had that opportunity, but they understood that their responsibility was to follow the Prophet's sunnah, they're the victorious person. You have people that come and say this stuff all the time. Hey, Shaykh, you know, I see the Prophet in my dream so often, and this, and that, and the other. I say, mashallah, it's very good. But I want you to know that seeing the Prophet in your dream is not the end goal. It's not a ticket to paradise. You know, there are instances where non-Muslims have seen the Prophet in their dream. I've met these people. There's a person who came to me and said to me, in the Potter, Potter Masjid, I remember one person came and told me there. He said, I saw your messenger in my dream. I said, describe him to me. And he literally was describing to me the Shama'il of Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi And I said, why do you come here? He said to me, well, I've been disturbed by the devil for a long time. He was a Christian. He said, I've been disturbed by the devil for a long time, and I thought I would come to you after seeing your prophet and ask you for a heal. I said, you want a heal? I'll give you some heal right now. Even though I don't do ruqya, by the way. And don't come to me with your jinnah shoes. I've retired from that. So um, this person, he came to me and said, give me. And I said, okay, you know what? Every night before you go to sleep, read this particular... Um, I gave him some duas to read, right? Literally, I told him to read Surah Fatiha and Ayatul Kursi. That was it, right? Fatiha and Ayatul Kursi. And I said, come back to me one week later. He came back one week later. Allah is my witness to this. In front of the masjid, in Potter Masjid, he read the Shahada. In front of the masjid, in the Potter Masjid, that man read the Shahada there. Okay. So, you know, some people, they take benefit from it, while others, it's just a dream, and that's it. It moves on. Being truthful. The second thing is Al-Amana. The Prophet must be trustworthy. Now, what's the difference between truthful and trustworthy? Trustworthy is beyond just the truthful aspect of it. Al-Amin is a, another characteristic in itself. And the best way to understand Al-Amin, truthfulness, is by understanding the opposite of it, which is Al-Khiyana. In Arabic they say, That the best way to define something is by looking at the opposite of it. When you look at the opposite of things, that's when the definitions become clear. So Khiyana is to betray someone. Not necessarily only to lie, it's a whole degree, it's a whole issue within itself. So for example, the messengers of Allah, 
Once they were granted the prophethood, there was no aspect of their message that they kept to themselves and they didn't convey to the people that they were supposed to convey. You understand? Had they not conveyed an ayah of the Qur'an that Allah had told them to convey, that would be called khiyana, which is the opposite of amana. And if the prophet is not amin, then how do we know the message we have in front of us is complete? You guys, you guys understand that argument? That's why it's very important. One of the key characteristics of a messenger is that they must have amana. Similarly, someone who is not amin, someone who is not truthful, someone who is not trustworthy, may violate the rights of other people because of their own greed. And the messengers of Allah are not capable of this. They will never violate the right of another person. They will always fulfill their rights. Similarly, the characteristic of amana trustworthiness means that you will not only convey the truth, but you will also be trustworthy with it. I mean, you're going to be a trustful with that, with that message. What does that mean? That the scholars, they say that the messenger of Allah under the banner of trustworthiness was obligated also to practice whatever they taught to people. They didn't only just give it to them and walk away like a cheater or a hypocrite, they actually gave it to them and they practiced it along with them. That's why you'll find this being mentioned in many places in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhar rasul balligh ma unzila ilaykum ir You must convey it to them, not a single thing more or less. And if you haven't done that, then you have not conveyed your message. In one ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Haqqa, if the Prophet of Allah was not Amin, if he wasn't trustworthy, we would have held him accountable. And he would have been punished for that. Allah says that to the Prophet that had you not been trustworthy, anyone that was not trustworthy with the message of Allah, had it been a Prophet, they would have been punished by Allah. Which teaches us very clearly that the Prophets of Allah are all Al-Ameen. The third is Al-Fitana. Al-Fitana means it is the responsibility, the characteristic of the messenger to be very intellectual and very smart. Because when you are a messenger, the world is looking up to you. Not only the world you're living in, the world and its inhabitants until the Day of Judgment. They're always going to come back and look up to you. So you have to be very smart, very intellectual. People will come from different backgrounds, different intellect levels, and they're going to come and challenge you. And you have to be able to answer them on the spot. So Al-Fitana. And a teacher can only guide his people if he is more prepared than them, if he is more smarter than them. Hence, you'll see this in the story of Ibrahim a.s. The famous story of him in Namrud. Namrud was the king of his time, and Ibrahim a.s. He said to him, my Lord is Allah. And Namrud said, what does your Lord do that I can't do? Qal Ibrahimu rabbi alladhi yuhyi wa yumit. My Lord gives life and death. So Namrud said, okay, that's easy. He called one of his men. He said, he's alive, and he killed him. He said, I just gave him death. And he called another man and said, oh, he's alive, let him live. Now Ibrahim a.s. could have destroyed him on that faulty logic. The reason why is because when Ibrahim a.s. is saying, my Lord is the one who gives life, he gives existence from non-existence. He doesn't allow existence to continue on. That's not called giving life. He could have given him a very simple logical argument. But Ibrahim a.s. realized the guy was too thick for that level of argument as well. That he couldn't engage, that guy wouldn't understand. So he gave him a whole different set of argument. He said to him, okay, smarty pants, my Allah raises the sun from the east, why don't you raise the sun from the west? Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, فَبُهِتَ الَّذِي kafar." That man was just lost for words. His jaw was down, he's like, oh my God, what do I do now? There's no way I can raise the sun from the west. Our ustad used to say, our teacher used to say, اِس ke jawab ko jawab. Our Shaykh used to say that an answer like this in our language is called mutor jawab. You know, mutor jawab means such an answer which causes the person's jaw to actually break. 
They can't even say, they can't lift it. You know, when something's broken, you can't use it anymore. Their mouth becomes, you know, <laughs> of no use, no longer of any use anymore because of that answer. The messengers of Allah also need to be very intellectual and very smart. You have to remember, in the, in the camp of the Prophet ﷺ and his followers, you had people like Khalid who was a very courageous man and was a sword of Allah. You had Abu Ubaidah who was the Amin of the Ummah. You had... Um, uh, Ali who the Prophet referred to as a, a, a city of knowledge. You had Mu'adh who the Prophet said on many occasions, he's very beloved to me. And we can go through each of the companions and their virtues, but where did they gain all of this knowledge from? Where did they gain this intellect from? Where did they get this development from? It came all from the Prophet who was smarter than them, more intellectual than them. And I want you to think of something right now. I want you to think of the smartest person you've met. Can you think of that person? Okay, scrap that. Think of the smartest person you've been told of, as long as it's not a messenger of Allah. Now, I want you to know, no matter how smart that person was, no matter how intellectual they were, the prophets of Allah were way more smarter. They were way more intellectual. They were so sharp, so bright. That was a very unique characteristic of theirs, okay? Which also shows us that we need to develop our intellect as well. We need to develop our thinking skills. Education is a very important thing. The last thing I want to cover for today's class, the fourth characteristics that, characteristic that must exist within prophets is what we call al-isma. They are protected. The fourth characteristic of a prophet is that they are protected. And this is a very tricky discussion, so I want you to listen very carefully. Okay? And this discussion is called Ismatul Anbiya. The infallibility of the prophets. What does that mean? That prophets of Allah do not commit sins. Prophets of Allah do not commit sins. They are protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Isma means they are protected. They are protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now what does this discussion mean? Why is this discussion so important? So... If you cannot prove that prophets were protected by Allah, what that then means is that prophets were also prey to the traps of shaitan. And if prophets were prey to the traps of shaitan, how do you know that you can follow him in his example since he was also in the trap of shaitan? You guys understand? So all the ayat in the Quran that tell us to obey the Prophet and that he's a role model and we need to follow him and so on and so forth, those ayat can no longer be practiced because you're saying that the Prophet was also in the trap of shaitan just like you are. And by establishing this belief that the Prophets are protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what we are proving is that the messengers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot sin, they cannot make mistakes that are grave in their nature, therefore we can continue to follow them in every aspect of their life. Okay, that's why this discussion is very, very important. So, I'm going to try to break it down for you in a few, uh, to a few degrees. The first thing the scholars, they say, is that the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are protected from Allah in terms of forgetting any revelation that was given to them that they would not convey it to people. So what's the first level of protection of Allah from Nisyan from forgetfulness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made this promise to the Prophet of Allah in the Quran, Sanukuriuka fala tansa that you will not forget. Illa masha'Allah, except for what Allah wants you to forget. Meaning there are some verses of the Quran that were abrogated, and that was to the will of Allah. But there is no mistake made by the Prophet of Allah that he has forgotten it and he was not able to convey it to the people. So the Prophets of Allah are saved from Forgetting, not just forgetting, there are, is, is it possible for the Prophet to forget something as a human being? 
Yes, what did I say? Forgetting to convey wahi. Forgetting to convey revelation. That's the aspect of forgetfulness that is saved, that the prophets are saved from directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now the next discussion that comes is, can prophets commit sins? Are prophets protected from committing sins or not? This is a very, very complicated issue. And the reason why this issue is complicated is because we know in the Qur'an there are instances mentioned where certain incidents seem as if the prophets committed mistakes. Yes or no? Okay. So for example, there's a famous story of um, Adam that's mentioned in the Qur'an. Adam is mentioned in the Qur'an where he accidentally ate from the tree that Allah had told him not to eat from. For example, similarly, there is a story of Nuh mentioned in the Qur'an where he questioned Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regarding his son being drowned, right? Even though that was a decree of Allah, he still asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Similarly, Ibrahim salam, which apparently seemed to be, have been lying on, on two, three occasions during his lifetime. Similarly, Musa salam accidentally KOing a guy. And I say KOing, I don't mean knocking him out, I mean killing him out, right? He just laid one on them and the guy was out. And then Dawud salam judging between two parties prior to further investigating in the issue, which I'm going to come to up ahead. Um, the Prophet ﷺ prohibiting certain things on himself that were halal. So these are instances in the Qur'an where it seems that the Prophets of Allah made mistakes. And in terms of their, uh, if when it comes to legislation and so on, it, someone can easily categorize them if they wanted to, to push their agenda as a, as, as a sin as well. So under this context, and you can understand the importance of it, the scholars, they engage in a discussion that is it possible for prophets to engage in sins or not? Can they make a mistake? So the reason why I want you to understand this discussion before we go and study each of those incidents one by one is because if we understand the framework properly, then we can explain those incidents accordingly. So you have to have the right framework to start with. Now, I know you guys are wondering what is the answer to each of those stories that I mentioned. That's what this class is about. So when we come to each of those prophets one by one, we'll explain those there. But I want to give you the framework. And this framework is actually the most important part of my entire introductory discussion. Because if your aqidah regarding the prophets isn't sound, then what you learn from them is going to be uh, limited, restricted, it may also be harmful to you as well. Okay? You may be reading the story from the wrong perspective. So with that said, the first group of scholars, they say that prophets are protected from all sins, minor or major, prior to and post-prophethood. Four things, minor and major, before and after prophethood. All four things are there. So what they're saying is that prophets are protected from Allah, period. And as far as it goes to prove that they are protected from sin prior to revelation, they bring an ayah of the Qur'an where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Baqarah, verse number 124, um, in which this ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, my covenant will not reach the oppressors. And according to some mufassirin, this ahad is referring to as nubuwa, prophethood. So prophethood will not come to an oppressor, and oppression sins are a form of oppression. So someone who's a sinner will not reach prophethood. So therefore, they're establishing from this, that what they're deducing is that prior to prophethood, a person cannot also, the prophets of Allah cannot commit sins. The second opinion is, that they are protected from all sorts of sins, minor and, minor and major, after prophethood. Not before prophethood. Because before prophethood, they are human beings. 
And it becomes important that they are protected once revelation is attached to them, and that happens at revelation. So once they are granted revelation, once they are prophets, from that point onwards, they are protected and there is no uh, sin from them that can occur, minor, minor or major. And the last group of people, they say that the prophets of Allah are protected from major sins, however they can commit minor sins. All three of these opinions are uh, established by notable and renowned scholars through Islamic history. Um, personally, our teachers used to hold the first opinion. And they would say that the prophets of Allah are protected from minor and major before and after prophethood. Which means in all instances, anytime anyone tries to, whether it's through a fabricated narration, a weak narration, or an ayah of the Qur'an even, there will be some sort of interpretation that goes on there. That this, this is the interpretation, this is the explanation to this. However, I do know, um, again, uh, very well-respected scholars, for example, Allah ibn Taymiyyah used to hold the third opinion. And his opinion was that prophets of Allah are protected from major sins. As for minor sins, it's possible that they can be committed. However, that doesn't mean that they're sinners, and then he gives explanations after that. So, usually when it comes to these sort of incidents and stories, how are they explained? I'm going to give you... Five main theme explanations. And it's each of the stories, if you try to bring them against these five explanations, you'll find your answer there, inshallah. Okay? Now, what are these five things? The first thing, the scholars, they say, that when... Um, first of all, they say that it was an ishtihad issue. An ishtihad issue, what does that mean? What that means is that the Prophet of Allah did not receive a revelation regarding that particular thing at that particular time. So the Prophet being a guide and a teacher made an assumption on how to deal with that issue based off their understanding and later on were corrected by Allah that that wasn't the most suitable way. You guys understand that? So it's an ishtihadi issue. Which means the Prophet made an, made an attempt to give a verdict on the particular thing and they enacted that issue in that way but then later on were told by Allah that that wasn't the most suitable way. This is another better way. The second opinion which is very similar to the first is that what they did was permitted based off their circumstance. What they did was permitted, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted them to do something better. Okay, that's another explanation given. The third explanation given is that um, even though they did make that mistake, they were not persistent with the sin. And this, by the way, this explanation won't go with the first group of people, it'll go with the second and third group of people, depending on where it happened in the Prophet's life. They'll say that they committed the sin, or not the sin, sorry, they committed that mistake you have to be careful and respectful. They committed that mistake. However, they didn't consistently do it. They did it once, they realized. And then the next thing is that once they did do it, they openly told people that this was wrong and this is the correct, appropriate method of it. Because a sin becomes problematic if a person does it and doesn't tell people that it's a sin. And if they see that person as being a messenger, they might think of that being as a part of revelation, which is going to be problematic. So at that point, when they made that mistake, they immediately told people that this is um, not a part of the revelation, this is something wrong. And the third thing they say is that these were, um, they ultimately repented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for each of their doings, whether it was minor or major, knowing, unknowingly, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made this dua. And the reason why they constantly repented is because these sins, many of them were minor in their nature, if you were to even consider them as sins. 
uh, without interpretation, if you were to even consider them, they would be minor in nature, and it is possible for human, being to make, human beings to make mistakes. So, there are multiple explanations, and I know that each of these um, probably don't satisfy all the stories that I said, but you have to study them one by one and understand their explanation. And again, depending on which opinion you follow, you can understand that there's going to be more interpretation or less interpretation. Our, our teachers used to say that um, all sorts of sins are protected, uh, prophets are protected from before and after, so you can see there's going to be a lot of interpretation that goes into that explanation there. Um, so with that said, I think we've covered the um, important discussions for today. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts this gathering. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us tawfiq to act upon what we learn. Inshallah, Aziz, next class we will start with the story of Adam alayhi salam. Inshallah, Aziz. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.